0: namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa buddhaṃ dhammaṃ So it's time to consider together again the teaching verse uh, quoted on our calendar for this month, a teaching by Ajahn Chah, which this month says that after awakening, the Buddha and his disciples still maintain their practice, effort, was their way, their natural habit. I think we should take the example of their practice as a model for our own practice. So, this raising up, uh, as any good teacher will do, the, uh, that which is important in this case. Uh, the need for constant effort, even after awakening. Uh, Ajahn Chahra is pointing out here, even after awakening, the Buddha and his disciples all maintained their practice. It was their, their nature, it was their habit. And I'm sure it's something that all of us who have been practicing for a while aware of the, the challenge of keeping effort going, keeping it constant. So how do we keep our effort constant in any skill or craft or ability? If we want to really excel, if we, if we want to do well, and does take a consistency of effort you can't try a little bit dabble I mean, you dabble for a while and that's not the same thing as consistently applying effort and and if we dabble for instance at our meditation it doesn't ever really get very far it's like, it's like learning a language you try to learn a language and I'm sure many of us have Try to learn a language later on in life, and it doesn't come so easy. You know, when you're a kid, your brain just kind of totally flexible and picks it up, and you can be speaking three languages. I like go, friend of mine who, who's he's a New Zealander, his wife's Vietnamese, and they lived in China, and and they had a house cleaner there who was who was Chinese, speaking Mandarin, and the kids were fluent and no problem, three languages, English, Vietnamese and Mandarin, absolutely no problem for them it was effortless for us, uh, it's a good example, I think a good metaphor for you really have to make effort you can't dabble, you've got to make effort, consistent effort, if you start for a while and then stop we've forgotten it and and this is the same for anything we want to really do well at Uh, I have a an ongoing relationship with Photoshop that various good friends have shown me from time to time, very kindly, how to do stuff. But because I'm not consistent, they've got to keep showing me. And I'm not proficient at it. So we want to become proficient at learning the language of the heart. If if liberation matters to us, if if we don't... Want to miss this opportunity to cultivate that which can be cultivated in this human existence, uh, then proficiency is the name of the game. And, and how do we do it? How do we keep the effort going? We don't want to just dabble. You know. Get inspired for a while, that's one sort of energy, but it doesn't last. You know. So when I ask myself this question, how do we keep effort consistent? How do we keep it going? What immediately comes to my mind is, why does it disappear? You know, what gets in the way? Because I know what it's like to be enthusiastic, to be really interested, to be full of zeal, as a nice old English word. Or as somebody I was talking to a friend recently about this and he was saying that the word he likes is "ardent." You know, it's, it's his word for um, how to be ardent in practice, how to keep it going, not fall prey to moods and getting pulled down and uh, losing the edge. And so then we can we can ask this question: What gets in the way? Why do we? How do we lose the edge? Why do we stop making effort? And get to that point of feeling dull again and like flat batteries. These are good questions. These are worthwhile questions because this stuff matters. So one of the things that I would suggest causes us to lose the edge and to stop making effort is the stories that we've got going inside our head the stories that we tell ourselves. And often these, these stories have been programmed in uh, at a very early stage of life. And we don't even know we've been telling ourselves these stories. Some of the stories, you, can, you, know, you go on a meditation retreat and, or sometimes it's a stage of life thing and you just suddenly catch yourself telling yourself a story. and you know, wow. How could I have been doing that all my life? And and it's good, it's great to catch these stories and to hear it. I so say, look at that! Wow, what a relief! Well, if we catch this, then we can get interested in the stories that we tell ourselves. We see that they how much they drain us, yeah. and just seeing that much, it's like it's like finding, you know, if you catch a thief, somebody comes around to your house on a regular basis and. And stuff goes missing and you, you don't know how come. And then one day you just, you find out, you see this person you thought was a friend nicking your stuff. You're all right, he's a thief. That person's a thief. You see it, all right, okay. totally changes your relationship to that person and when you catch them out. Well, so it is with the stories. So when, we, when we really see these stories we tell ourselves, when we catch them, we see how much they drain us of our energy, how much they deplete us. You know, stories like, I need a break, you know, I've been practicing hard or, you know, I've really been making an effort and I just need a break now or I'll give up my practice of keeping the precepts, I think I'll just go go out one night drinking. I'm reminded of Janis Joplin, remember Janis Joplin, those of you who remember that great singer Janis Joplin and giving up heroin and her friend came round and said, well, let's just one more time, you know, I've been a good girl and that was the last time. Or, I can't do it, you know, when the going gets tough. I'm too weak as a regular one. I'm too weak. I'm not a good enough person. I'm not a good person. if If you're told early on in life that you're not capable... Well, you can get that story going and and carry on. And you, so basically we build up this habit of stories in our heads that are often unconscious and causes a huge amount of suffering. The Buddha called this uh, storyteller the uh, house builder. There's a Dhammapada verse 153, 154 where the Buddha said, For many lifetimes I have sought but not found the house builder who has caused all my suffering. For many lifetimes I have sought but not found the house builder who has caused all my suffering. But now you are seen and no more building will be done. All craving has ended. My heart is one with the unmade. How wonderful. All craving has ended. My heart is one with the unmade. No more building. No more stories. No more creating these spaces, these abidings that limit. Yeah. That's what we do. When we we create these stories about I'm like this. I'm somebody who, he can't do this. Yeah. I'm one of those people who can't do that. So well, who said we can't do that? Oh, yeah. So these stories that we create are something that seriously limitless and are really worth getting interested in, not making bad. Yeah, again, when the, the Buddha talking to the house builder, otherwise known as Mara, he never hated Mara, never got angry at Mara. Yeah, he just said, I see you, Mara, I recognize you. So the storyteller, you know, if you've suffered enough in life, you can get upset with the storyteller, you know, get angry at him or her, as the case may be, that doesn't help. So we're not talking about hating the storyteller, but recognising the stories as stories. Recognising, and, and little by little, hopefully moving in the direction that, as the, the Buddha wanted us to see, that which all the stories are covering up. You know, why are we so desperate in telling these stories? You know, they're covering up something. And the Buddha eventually saw it as craving. And the Pali word tanha, craving this or oh, thirst. And he hadn't seen it. Many lifetimes, even somebody of the Buddha's ability, it took many lifetimes to get to see this this force of craving that undermines our well-being, keeps us always in a state of discontent, always in a state of agitation. Nothing's ever good enough. There's always something wrong. So we don't see craving, and so we create these stories to help us cope with the suffering. Craving is the cause of the suffering, Well, we don't see the craving, so we've got the suffering. How do we make sense of it? How do we cope with it? Well, we create these stories, and then these stories become a habit. The habit of storytelling that we have going is also called personality. That's what our personality is. It's a a pattern of habitual storytelling. And... The way it is these days is that it seems to be, for many people anyway, that uh, people worship this. It's like an idol, the personality, my personality, and the world worships it, polishes it, and bows down to it, promotes it, sells it, cultivates it. Where The Buddha, his insights identified personality belief as a disorder. And at the first stage of liberation, the first stage of unshakable insight, otherwise known as Sotapanna or stream entry, this is one of the veils that falls away. It's not like the Buddha didn't have a personality. Anybody who saw him could say, well, the Buddha's this or that sort of a personality. But the Buddha was never shaken, never intimidated by these conditions, otherwise, that the world calls a personality. And if you've ever had the good fortune of spending time in the company of somebody who has that level of insight. You see, there's no drama for such people. There's no drama. So the habit of storytelling manifests itself as our, as our personality. And we tend to all become slaves to it. And it gobbles up a huge amount of energy. And as we get older, you know, it starts to get a little shaky. Your memory starts to go and, and it's not so easy to polish and promote this personality anymore and you, you, know, you get depressed and disillusioned and despairing with life. So the Buddha's encouragement of the teaching of all the great teachers is don't wait until you get old and start losing it. Uh, cultivate the spirit of interest into these matters, until we can unearth them, dislodge them, see through them, see them as uh, for what they are. Like a, like a rainbow. If you've got a beautiful personality, it's like a rainbow, a gorgeous, beautiful thing, but it's nothing. It's an optical illusion. looks like something, but it's not. Yeah. So it's really worthwhile. Becoming conscious of the storytelling, not demonizing either the stories or the storyteller, but learning to not believe them. We don't tell all these stories to ourselves, and it's, it's not because we're bad, we're not bad people. I mean, this is just the way that the unawakened mind operates to cope with the natural consequence of deluded desire. Again, it's important to understand that desire is not the problem, we're not demonizing desire, it's craving. It's an unawakened, uninformed, uninspected relationship to desire that manifests as craving. The Buddha had desire, he didn't have desire, he wouldn't be motivated to help anybody, and desire to go and take a bath, and desire to have somebody rub liniment in his back when it's painful, in his old age. Desire is natural, normal, but when there's not wisdom associated with desire, then there's ignorance associated with desire and it manifests as craving. And so we have this momentum of craving and we don't understand it and so to cope with it we create these stories and it masks the truth. But it's important to realise that just because we're telling all these stories to ourselves doesn't make us bad. Just because we're deluded doesn't mean to say we're bad. We might feel that way. Over my years as a as a monk I can remember uh, several occasions where I have been accused of various unpleasant things that I felt were not warranted and yet I was unsettled by that why do we get unsettled something if you didn't do it why why are you getting disturbed I said, well you look into that you see well it's because the stories were telling us For the first 18 years of my life, I was told that I was a sinner. You're bad. You're guilty. Over and over again on a regular basis, that I am a sinner. And during these periods of having been accused of things, I look and say, what's the problem? The problem is there's a presumption that I am guilty. It's understandable given the conditioning. But it leaves us very vulnerable. You know, If we've got these stories going on, you know, like, for instance, you're guilty, you know, you're very vulnerable. Somebody accuses us of something, you say, I feel guilty. Why do I feel so guilty? I remember occasions of waking up in the middle of the night having anxiety attacks, you know, sweating palms and bracing heart. And, you know, I'm the abbot of a monastery. I shouldn't be having these reactions, but I've been accused of this and... and uh, so say, well, there must be something going on there. Maybe I am guilty. Or maybe I just feel guilty. Well, if you feel guilty, look into that. You feel guilty. You're keeping precepts, so you've got a safety net. You've got a safety net. That's one of the benefits of keeping moral precepts. You've got a safety net, something that's going to hold you. And so you can trust yourself enough to allow yourself to really feel that feeling of feeling guilty, feeling like damaged goods, feeling like you're bad in some way you look into it, get interested in it and I say well there's this presumption there's this underlying story that I am bad and once you see it then you start to see through it So you don't have to tell yourself that story anymore and the energy then becomes available so in a way being accused of things that are uh, wrongly accused of things, in a way it can be a gift it doesn't mean to say it's It's nice, or you're going to like it, it's challenging, but it can force you to bring your attention, to take your attention deeper than you would normally go, and start to look at some of those stories that are draining your energy, and start to see through them. And we're all doing it. And once you start to see how you're doing it, you see how other people are doing it, all the time. The whole media, (laughs) is a sophisticated storytelling machine. You know, these collective stories, it's called culture. You know, these collective stories that people tell themselves and tell each other and everybody around you is doing it and so you really believe it. It's a national identity. there's just kind of storytelling that's going on compulsively a lot of the time and, and it can really undermine us. But all we have to do is get interested and see through it. We don't want to hate it. You know, get angry at it. reminded of a, a incident that occurred when, this is a teaching story some stories are helpful you know? it's not like, you know, we're not demonising stories, you know, some stories are good so long as you know the stories and this is a teaching story from when Ajahn Chah was coming to visit this country and I forget the details of it now but something happened to the aeroplane Thai International Aeroplane after it took off, I don't know whether it burst a tyre or there was something wrong with the machinery, but whatever, before they they were going to land in Rome, they, uh, the pilot came on the intercom and said there's going to be emergency landing, and it was a very real risk, there was going to be a crash, it was a very serious risk, and of course the reverberations through the aircraft, the panic taking over, and the uh, the women being told to take off their high-heeled shoes, and and Ajahn Chah having to take out his dentures and stick them in his pocket and whatever things that you do when you might have a crash. And and what happened was these uh, these some of these Thai men came rushing up to Ajahn Chah asking him to save them. And I guess they thought he was a holy man so he must have powers to save the airplane from crashing. And I suspect that he doesn't have those kinds of powers but people believe in all sorts of stories. And anyway, so they came rushing up and making all sorts of vows, you know, if you stop the plane from crashing, then I will live my life dedicated to the Dumbo, and I will keep the precepts, and so on, and so all these people coming up to ask Ajahn Shah to save the aeroplane, and making their vows, and thankfully, one way or another, the aeroplane did land safely. and safely, and all the fire engines and emergency equipment wasn't needed, and people are disembarking from the plane, and as they're walking into the, into the airport, into the um, reception lounge, Ajahn Chah turned to one of the other monks with him and, and commented on how all those guys who were making their vows before, just a few minutes ago, and dedicating their life to the Dhamma, now seemed more interested in the attractive ladies that they were in the airport rather than honouring their commitment to Dhamma. And that's what happens sometimes when we're under pressure. uh, We default to these unconscious stories that we've got going. So I'm pleased that uh, that aircraft didn't crash. And, and of course, one wouldn't wish such life-threatening circumstances on anybody. But sometimes when we are faced with a crisis, for instance, like a medical prognosis, uh, especially a terminal medical prognosis, or somebody else we know or love, Dies, and, or sickness, or, or threatened with losing a job—in other words, we're under pressure. That we can get in touch with the stories that we tell ourselves that limit us consistently, compulsively. So the the hope lies in, well, for me, in hearing the teachings of the Buddha and these great teachers that tell us that this is not an obligation. We don't have to tell ourselves stories. Yeah. The Buddha talked about what it's like to live without being enslaved by the house builder. He talked about the state of being, the state of mindful equanimity, where he would say, in the hearing, let there just be hearing. In the seeing, let there just be seeing. In the tasting, let there just be tasting. In the cognizing, let there just be the cognizing. Life is just so. In reality, it is just so. But that's not usually how it is for us. We always complicate it. If we're unaware, we habitually turn to making stories to compensate for our habitual tendency to get lost in wanting it to be otherwise. Life is disagreeable at times, but do we have to complicate it with our stories? If only, what if? it's true, our neighbour likes to run his generator right next door to my window sometimes 10.30 at night sometimes he's even got his chainsaw going late at night and I'm not convinced he has to do it, I'm not convinced it's really necessary he's probably got a good explanation but I suspect it's a story that he's made up but do I have to complicate it the Pali word for Habitual complication is Papancha. Where the Buddha held up was a state called Nipapancha, uncomplicated existence. And that was the mode in which he lived and all awakened beings live, uncomplicated existence. But for the rest of us, we tend to complicate things. But we can do something about it. If we catch this, we see the stories that we create and see how much energy we lose, that our effort is compromised because of this, so we don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So I have a practice that I sometimes do and I've, I've found beneficial and it's called just so practice. So whatever arises, say just so. You meditate on just so. You're sitting there, whatever you're doing. Pain in the knee, it's just so. It is, it's just so. It is just so. I'm not making it up, it is just so. It's pain in the knee. Now, of course, you don't get silly and damage yourself, but instead of complaining about it, you say, it's just so. Somebody next to you is breathing too loudly. It's just so. You don't like them breathing loudly. It's just so. Your disliking is just so. So we can exercise this. Everything that comes up, you meet it with just so. It is just so. It is what it is. The sound is just the sound. The ear is just the ear. The hearing is just the hearing. The disliking is just the disliking. The not wanting to take responsibility for the disliking is the not wanting to take responsibility for the disliking. Meet it with this just so, just so. And this uh, one way of undermining the compulsive storytelling and hopefully moving in the direction of a pure, unadulterated, just knowing. Just knowing. And that's the freedom, that's the refuge that the Buddha and the great teachers have Encouraged us towards. It's not finding life always thoroughly agreeable. You know, we don't have to make a problem out. It's a choice whether we're going to add something to it or not. You know, the pure, unadulterated, just knowing of an awakened human being, that's the vision, that's the aspiration. And, and I know I've mentioned this before, but I think it—it, it, um, it's worth mentioning again that Again, talking about our teacher, John Chah, that as he was getting older and sicker and uh, his brain was you know, he had a series of strokes and his brain wasn't working like it used to. But he was talking about it in this totally nonchalant way. just saying, well, it's just like that. It's just so. My brain's not working. It's, it's like this. And he, he knew what was going on. He was "Hey, you know, I opened my mouth and and I want to say, Sumato, come here, but what I hear in the words coming out is, Anando, come here. And he said, I want to say, Sumato, come here, but I open my mouth, and what comes out is, Anando, come here. And he said, and it's not a problem. The conditions are disagreeable. I'm sure he didn't like it that way. But he was identified with that which is prior to the conditions, which is the knowing, the just knowing. Now, uh, I think it's personally tremendously important that we get a clear understanding of this. You know, the conditions, yes, there are time and place to try and adjust the, the conditions and you know, maybe have a little word with the neighbour and say maybe you know, turn that thing off at 6 o'clock would be a good idea. We, we can adjust conditions, manipulate conditions to some degree, but that's not liberation. We're never going to succeed in adjusting all the conditions to being thoroughly agreeable to some degree, to some conditions, are going to be disagreeable. But the goal, the aim, the focus of our effort needs to be towards that which is prior to all the conditions, the pure, unadulterated, just knowing. That's not compulsively adding anything to the conditions or taking anything away from them. You know, sometimes we talk like this and it sounds like we're life-denied. You're not supposed to have any fun. Well, I'm... Pretty sure awakened beings have a really good time. Yeah, a really, really good time. I imagine they're having such a good time we can't even imagine it. Because yeah, they're not driven by compulsive habits. Yeah. So, thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs>